named Daryl Davis. Raise your hand if you have heard of a man named Daryl Davis. All right, we, we, have, we have one. So this is a picture of Daryl Davis. Daryl Davis was once an aspiring and successful musician. He played with famous people like Chuck Berry, B.B. King, Jerry Lee Lewis, and others. However, his true claim to fame, the legacy that he forged, came in a very different way. Daryl Davis went out of his way to befriend the Grand Wizard of the Ku Klux Klan, the KKK at that time. Just in case you didn't know, the KKK was a secret hate group in southern United States. It was active for several years after the Civil War, which aimed to suppress the newly acquired rights of black people and to oppose carpetbaggers from the North. The KKK was responsible for many lawless and violent proceedings. It was founded in 1915, and unfortunately, unfortunately, there are still occasional pictures and stories that pop up stating that there, the KKK still exists in certain areas. Their hate and violence is directed against black people, Muslims, Jews, Catholics, foreign-born individuals, and other groups. Just in case you didn't know or don't know, I want you to just make sure that you understand I wholeheartedly oppose this group and any type of hate-based group based on skin color, religion, anything. You can see why it would be such an amazing story, though, because the group that is against black people, a black man named Daryl Davis, befriending not only a member of the KKK, but the literal, the grand wizard of the KKK. His name was Roger Kelly. Roger Kelly heard Daryl Davis perform at a, at a club and was impressed by his musical talent. Kelly and Davis spoke that night, and Davis began building trust between them and laying a foundation of what would eventually become a, a, a friendship of many years. They broke bread at each other's tables. They actually even eventually welcomed one another into each other's homes Davis went as far as attending a Ku Klux Klan rally as a guest of Kelly. Now, we're all sitting here. I think majority of us would be like, ain't no way. Most importantly, Davis cultivated an atmosphere of listening. He didn't hate Kelly because Kelly hated him, which, let's be honest, that's kind of the norm of society. Instead, Davis listened to Roger Kelly, and eventually what, what that led to was Kelly listening to Davis. This led to them realizing, as amazing as it sounds, that they had far more in common than not. In the end, Kelly denounced his ties as the Grand Wizard. He denounced his ties to the KKK so much that he handed his personal hood and robe to Daryl Davis. In total, Davis has seen more than 200 members 
walk away from the KKK and hand over their robes to him. Daryl Davis is a world changer. Replacing hate with love because love conquers hate every time, but bitterness forms barriers. And this morning I want to speak on this topic, the bitterness barrier. Lord, we love you, and we've already sang about you, hopefully sang to you, spoken to you, closed our eyes and focused on you, but God, you're not done. You're going to speak through your word, and I pray that our hearts and our minds would receive what it is that you're wanting to, to not only say to us, but to accomplish in us, Lord Jesus, that there could be some incredible lifelong things that happen here today if we will just allow you to do your perfect work. So help us, I pray, in Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> Jacob and Esau were brothers who grew up together, and they really did not like each other. Okay, Jacob tricked Esau out of his birthright, which was an amazing blessing for the firstborn sons of Old Testament families. Well, Jacob tricked Esau out of that, but Esau wasn't exactly a saint himself. Years later, Jacob, he, he was now married, had several children, and he knows that, hey, crossing paths with my brother Esau, it's inevitable, okay? I, I, I'm, I'm, I don't get the, the luxury to tell you the whole story, but... Now he's gone. They had gone separate ways. He had lived with his uncle Laban. And it's amazing that the guy that tricked someone else got tricked himself. And he ended up marrying two of the sisters. He wanted Rachel, got Leah, ends up having kids with them. And he's traveling and he knows, I, I know that eventually I'm going to run into Esau again. And so he sends gifts ahead to Esau, trying to smooth things over a little bit, maybe even bribe him. But Esau is also rich by this time. And so Esau is not interested in gifts. You can't give me a gift. I already have this. I don't need gifts. In Genesis 32, 3 tells us about this. It says, then Jacob sent messengers ahead to his brother Esau, who was living in the region of Seir and he, in the land of Edom. And he told them, give this message to my master Esau. Humble greetings from your servant Jacob. Until now I am... I have been living with Uncle Laban, and I, uh, now I own cattle, donkeys, flocks of sheep and goats, and many servants, both men and women. I have sent these messengers to inform my Lord of my coming, hoping that you will be friendly to me. In other words, can I bribe you with stuff? After delivering the message, the messengers returned to Jacob and reported, hey, we met your brother Esau, and he's already on his way to meet you with an army of 400 men. Jacob did not go, cool. Jacob, verse 7 says, he was terrified at the news. He divided his household and, and he says, all right, you go over there. You guys head that way. And along with the flocks and the herds and the camels into two groups, he thought, okay, if Esau meets one group and attacks it, hopefully the other group can get out alive and they can keep some stuff and maybe at least have some stuff to be able to live forward and, and, and keep some of the riches. He didn't trust God here. It was kind of, all right, you guys head that way. You guys head that way. Someone's going to die, but at least not all of us will. That's what his thought process was. 
And so he was trying to make the best to save a few family members. So he actually says, you know what? I'm going to send another round of gifts to Esau through his servant. But when, here's the thing, when your brother has wronged you, you're not looking for favors. You're not looking for gifts. You're not looking to sweep it under the rug. What are you looking for? You're looking for humility. You're looking for an apology. But in order to be willing to do that, to humble yourself, to be willing to come to your brother, you have to get into the presence of the Lord. You see, that's what Jacob had after he feared for his death and the death of his family. His initial response was, okay, I got to save somebody. You guys go that way. You guys go that way. But then he stops in verse 11, 32, 11. He says, oh, Lord, please rescue me from the hand of my brother, Esau. I'm afraid that he's coming to attack me along with my wives and children. He says, but you promised me. I will surely treat you kindly and will multiply your descendants until they become as numerous as the sands along the seashore. Too many to count. So he starts, he knew God's word. Quizzing's important because even in prayer, he knew the word of God. And he knew God had spoken his word to him. And he said, God, you told me. There are times that in our prayer, we have to stand on the promises of God. When everything else doesn't look like it's working out to say, God, but your word says, but God, your word says, I know right now the situation, but God, your word says. And so sometimes the way God delivers us out of a problem is that he will work in us and not just in someone else. But see, that's not what we like. If I have an issue with someone, I'm praying that that knucklehead would come to their senses. God, let them see their ways. They are wrong. God, do what you need to do to speak to them. But you see, sometimes God says, no, no, I want to speak to you. I want to talk to you. You might be praying to God about what others are doing to you, but God is going to answer your prayer by what he's going to do in you. But we want him to work in that person, to do something to that person and fix my problem. Genesis 33, verse 1, then Jacob looked up and saw Esau coming with over 400 men. Can you imagine what he feels like at this time? He looks, I mean, like, he looks up. What was he doing? You know, was he, like, cooking something, chatting with someone? All of a sudden, he's like. Imagine the terror in his body at that moment. It's not just my brother who was known to be a hunter. From what I can pick up, Jacob was a mama's boy. His mom's making the stew, and she's putting hairy arms on Jacob, trying to trick his dad and all that. And Esau's the guy, like, he's the man's man. He's out hunting. Dad, I got my stuff. I brought it in. You know, and, and Jacob's like, Mom, you know. <laughs> That's what I'm picturing. And, and, and so Jacob's looking, and his knees are knocking together, and Esau by himself is already, you know, I just picture this dude coming. He's got 400 men behind him. Jacob's like, I sent you gifts twice. 
So he divided the children among Leah, Rachel, and his two servant wives. Because in his head, somebody's going to die. I know I'm dying. But I'm just hoping that my lineage, you know, can live on some way, shape, or form. So you guys, guys, go over here. Guys, go over here. You guys go over here. You guys go over here. So I got four groups now. And he put his servant wives and their children in the front. Leah and her children went second. Rachel and Joseph went last. You can, you can tell who was the favorite. We know that. Then Jacob went on ahead. And as he approached his brother, he bowed down to the ground before him, which is a sign of what? Sometimes people might ask me why I, why I kneel when I pray. This is it. For me, this is a sign of of humility. You can pray any way you want. But when I come to an altar and I kneel down, there's something about God coming to your presence right now. And Jacob went to his brother and he knelt down. But what does it say? He didn't kneel down one time. He continued to approach his brother. He knelt down a second time. And he continued to approach his brother. And he knelt down a third time. And he continued to approach his brother. You guys get the point, so I don't have to do so many squats. going to try and work out in the morning. I'd prefer not to be sore when I get there. Now he bowed down, not one time, bowed himself to the ground seven times before him. And then Esau ran to meet him and embraced him, threw his arms around his neck and kissed him, and they both wept. Jacob had made havoc of his relationship with his brother, from birthright to blessing. And restoration occurred only, only when Esau was coming with 400 men to meet him. And the Bible says the restoration did not happen until Jacob first bowed himself seven times before his brother. Seven times. He kept bowing as he, till he came near. Oftentimes, though, with us, we make the mistake. We expect others to forgive and to restore quickly. I already talked to her. I tried to tell her. I told her I was sorry. I told him I was sorry. Now I'm done. It's on him now. You ever say that or heard that said? I said I'm sorry once. I'm done. They didn't forgive me. But more often, we have to go the extra mile. To prove with our actions what we say is in our heart. And sometimes that requires us to keep bowing. I already bowed once. I'm not doing that again. It's on them now. Really. Esau. Oh. Esau. Right. That continuing to bow. Over and over, giving blessing. Show, 
We must show the change we proclaim to have. In due time, restoration will come with your brother or your sister. For true deliverance from hate to take place, we as Christians must get rid of the, I already tried. I already apologized. There's nothing else to do. Keep bowing. And restoration will take place. Have you ever thought about this? Who right now is the most influential person in your life? Take a moment and think about that. Who is the person that is the most influential person in your life? And as you ponder that, allow me to offer you a suggestion because I think I might know who that is. The most influential person in your life right now is the person you've never forgiven. See, right off the bat, you're going to speakers and leaders and people that are having good and and you love being around. You would like to be around more, but the most influential person in your life right now is the person you've never forgiven. The principles found throughout the whole Bible, Old Testament, New Testament. David wasn't afraid to raise his hand against Goliath. Send me, who's that uncircumcised Philistine? Every other Israelite was afraid to go to battle with Goliath as Goliath would march himself into that that ravine, into that hill, that, that, that mountainside and say, send me a man that will fight me. Send me a man. And he would just belittle the people of God. And David comes to bring his brother some food. And he's like, who's this uncircumcised? I'll go fight him. And Saul's like, hey, come in, got to try on my, my armor, and, and then you can go in this. And he's like, I've never tested this armor. I can't wear this. This ain't even my size. What kind of king is, is going to go back to the tent and hand a little boy his armor to try to send him to a battle that he should have been fighting himself? But get this. David wasn't afraid to raise his hand against Goliath. But he was afraid to raise his hand against Saul. Saul wasn't afraid. I'm sorry, Saul was afraid to raise his hand against Goliath. But he wasn't afraid to raise his hand against David. You get that? David says, I ain't afraid of Goliath, but I will not raise my hand against Saul. That's God's anointed. Saul says, I'll raise my hand against David. I'll chuck javelins at him, but I'm scared to raise my hand against Goliath. Church, we are in a bad condition when we will not fight the enemy, but we will fight our brother. Look at the story of Peter in the garden, Luke 22, verse 47. But even as Jesus said this, a crowd approached, led by Judas. It's getting ready to be betrayal time. And one of his 12 disciples, Judas, walks over to Jesus, greets him with a kiss. And Jesus looks at Judas and says, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? The other disciples saw what was about to happen. They said, Lord, should we fight? We brought swords. One of them, who we know later, it's Peter, struck the high priest's slave, slashing off his ear. Jesus says, no more of this. He touched the man's ear and he healed him. Here's a couple life lessons from this account. 
Anytime you look around and Jesus doesn't have a sword in his hand, but you have one in yours, he's going to have to heal someone that you've cut. Sometimes we don't talk about swinging a legit sword anymore, but we are slicing with our words. We're slicing with our words in church instead of it becoming a place where we come to gather in one mind, in one accord, where God pours out his spirit upon all flesh and hope is given and lives are changed and sins are washed away. Instead, there are churches across America that have to be hospitals for wounded people because believers are cutting people with their words and their, and their tongue and their lips. And we're, well, they deserved it. Well, they said this. Well, they did that. And any time that Jesus doesn't have a sword and we do, he's going to have to heal something that we've cut. The church shouldn't have to be a place. We should be a place where God is just moving and doing miraculous. Not, oh God, there needs to be healing here. God, we're all wounded. We're hurt. Now, I'm thankful that he does do that. But I don't want to inflict that upon ourselves. We have to guard our words and our tongue. Look what happens when the first martyr of the New Testament is put to death. In Acts 7, verse 55, it says, But Stephen, full of Stephan, depending on how you pronounce it, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed steadily into heaven and saw the glory of God. And he saw Jesus standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. He told them, Look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. They put their hands over their ears and they began shouting and they rushed at him. They dragged him out of the city and they began to stone him. I'm not talking about landscape stones. Okay? These were stones on the side of the street that you lift with two hands above your head and throw them like this. And, and they began to throw those at him. And his accusers took off their coats and they laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they stoned Stephen, and they prayed, Lord Jesus, and as, and as he was being stoned, can you imagine this? People with hate and despite just looking at you, shouting, spitting all over you, chucking stones at you as you're getting hammered with stones, and your skin is starting to open up, and your, and your flesh is getting wounded as the, the, the stones continue to hit you. And you look around, and you say, God, these people are stoning me. God, I'm praying, please don't hold this to their cause. Somehow, forgive them the first martyr in scripture he dies praying a prayer of forgiveness to the people who are killing him his dying prayer is one of forgiveness as he says lord don't charge them with this sin and with that he died to all we know in scripture the last words that he spoke God, don't hold this to their cause. Forgive them. He prayed that similar prayer. What? Didn't he learn that somewhere? When Jesus was hanging bloody on a cross, unrecognizable as a human being, and he looked down at people gambling for his clothes, and he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing right now. And God definitely answered Stephen's prayer. Saul is the Hebrew word and becomes Paul, the Greek word. And Paul, as the young man that was standing there as the coats were thrown at his 
at his feet. And I wonder if Paul heard him as he was watching an apprentice to this passionate lifestyle for what they deemed the law and truth. What did he just say? Did that guy just ask God to forgive us all? Did God just pray for the people who were stoning him? Did that, did, did that, did that guy just pray to God for the people who were stoning him? And that prayer was mightily answered. Because Saul has his name changed to Paul. Plants churches all over Asia Minor. Writes the majority of the New Testament. But his story started holding some coats of some people that were stoning the first martyr in the New Testament who prayed a dying prayer that God would please forgive the people stoning him. Who does God want to mightily use right now that would be moved to serve him if you would just release wrongdoing and forgive? Who right now is the person? Because if you would have said, all right, uh, let's take a poll. How many of you think Saul could be converted and be one of the biggest proponents of New Testament Christianity as he's holding coats for people stoning Stephen? I, I, I don't really think that he would have been in the top 10 list. Kind of like when we look around and people in our lives be like, that's a bitter man. That's a bitter woman. And I just don't know about that person. I could never see them. But, but sometimes it's, it's not just them being bitter. It's the bitterness we have toward them. And what, who is it that God is looking at and wants to mightily use right now? They, he could say, I could change that person's life. I could use them mightily. But right now, I'm just waiting for my people to pray a prayer to forgive them, to release them from wrongdoing. I've been reading and studying the book of Revelation for the last several weeks. And I'll tell you what all of it means. Here it is. Jesus wins. I've never really done, at some point I'm going to have to do a series on it, but I've never really done an in-depth series on Revelation because there's a whole lot of personal interpretation. And so to me, I'm not going to look and say, yes, the bear is uh, the oldest. Yes, that dragon is Nero. No, that dragon is uh, some other guy. That dragon's a current world leader. Like, all I know is there going to be end times? There's signs of the times. Jesus wins, and if we stay on his side, we win too. That's it. But I'm currently in the middle of God pouring out his wrath. It's interesting reading. I always read my, work, my, my Bible at, at breakfast time. You know, I'm eating, I'm eating Fruit Loops and reading about the wrath of God. That's part of the reason I don't put milk in the cereal because I get, I get caught. I get caught on tangents, and so I start taking notes on what I'm reading, and that way I, my cereal's still good. But I'm reading God is pouring out his wrath through what John describes as seven trumpets, seven seals, and seven vials. In the third of the seven trumpets, look what Scripture says in Revelation Eight, verse 10, it says, Then the third angel blew his trumpet, 
And a great star fell from the sky, burning like a torch. It fell on one-third of the rivers in the spring, on the springs of water. Verse 11 says, the name of the star was bitterness. It made one-third of the water bitter, and many people died from drinking the bitter water. Did you catch that? A star called bitterness fell into the water and contaminated people, and they died. Bitterness poisoned and killed hundreds of thousands of people. And it still is doing the same thing today. Bitterness contaminates the human soul. And it will eventually stifle the life out of you. Bitterness and hatred killed in the Old Testament. Bitterness and hatred killed in the New Testament. Bitterness and hatred killed in the KKK. And bitterness and hatred can kill in Pentecostal churches in 2022. It only loses its power when someone stands like Joseph, was betrayed by his brothers, but he said, I'm not going to hold on to that bitterness. I'm going to come out to my brothers and say, guys, what you, what you meant for harm, God meant for good. David had to dodge the spears of King Saul, but he made a choice. I'm not going to pick that spear back up and throw it back at him. David, as a shepherd and what he did in those fields, there is no doubt in my mind. Killed the lion, killed the bear, killed Goliath. There's no doubt that Saul, he could have dodged that spear probably in one motion, picked it up, and thrust it right through the king. He was a man of war. He was a man of war. In one motion, he probably could have done that, picked it up, and killed that king. And I think a lot of people would have given them justification. Well, that's fair. He's chucking spears at you. The only thing you can do is throw them back. But David said, I refuse to touch God's anointed. I refuse to touch another child of God. Yeah, well, they're saying stuff about me. They're talking behind my back. They're the ones that are, are, are cutting me up with their tongue. I'm justified. I need to retaliate. No. If I'm wounded, what am I going to do? I'm just going to wound more people. And that's what happens. Is when someone begins to wound with their lips... 99.9 times out of 100 times, they're wounding with their lips because they are wounded. Right. And so when we reciprocate that and say, you chucked a spear at me, I'm going to chuck a spear at you. I'm justified. All we're doing is we're causing more pain in the family of God. Job suffered much. But the Bible says he sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. Jesus forgave a sinful world, and thank God he's still in the process of forgiving us each and every day as we repent. 
Peter and the other apostles were flogged for preaching the gospel, but scripture says they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. Stephen forgave those stoning him. Daryl Davis forgave Roger Kelly and others who hated him for his skin color. Church, this is one of those messages where when your relationships are in line and everything's going well, you're like, okay. I wish I could always preach a message that spoke to every person watching online and every person here today. But chances are it's not going to touch every person today because maybe there's not that person that you are just, oh. Right now, as I say, that person and that, that you're held in bitterness, that person that hurts you, that person, that, chances are right now there's a name and a face in your mind. For some of you, you're like, no, there's not. And that's why, come back next week, we'll have one for you. But for the person that goes, oh yeah, and you actually start to get white knuckles and your teeth clench because that person has hurt you. That person has wronged you. Yeah, you're telling me to do this, but you don't know my situation. It is so bad. It's gone on for so many years. You know what it's formed? A barrier of bitterness. And bitterness is one of those things that you just keep adding another brick to it. It becomes a wall. It becomes like the walls of Jericho where you look at it and go, how in the world am I ever going to get to the promise that God has for me? I don't know what happened, but it's gotten so long and so tall and so big, and I just, I don't know what I'm going to do. Well, I think we got a hint from Jacob. The first things you need to do is get into the presence of God and say, God, your word, I want to be in your presence, and I want to get in your word. Because what's holding you back today? What are you holding on to that might be holding someone else back today? What are you willing to do today that would release you or release someone else? For Jacob, it started with intentionally walking into the presence of God. And God obviously worked in his heart enough that he would go to his brother and say, Esau, my brother. Well, I tried it one time and pff, I, no, I'm going to go another time. Esau, my brother. I mean, would you be willing today that if someone has hurt you and wronged you, would you be willing to go to them Seven times, and then it's interesting because he flipped to the New Testament. And Jesus says, you've heard it said seven times. I'll tell you what. 
Everything that the law said, Jesus took it to the next extent. We're going to talk about this on Wednesday night. He says, you've heard it said seven times. It's actually seven times 70. That does not mean a literal 490. That was like, a, hey, I'm telling you, it's some of you are keeping track. Like, just so you know, this person ticked me off 487 times. They have three more. <laughs> we might all be divorced because I guarantee you I have crossed 490 times in about 15 years of marriage, all right? But he says, you've heard it. I'll tell you. Here's what I expect from my people. Actually, I'm going to go a step further. I will tell you that if you can't forgive someone else, you have tied my hands as your Savior because I can no longer forgive you. That scares me. That makes me want to examine my heart every single day. Say, Father, forgive them. Father, if there's anything in my heart that has taken root, because it's like when you plant something in the ground, you're not just celebrating the growth that's taking place. You don't even know it exists. Like, yeah, I planted that thing, and I haven't seen it. All of a sudden, you start to see little shoots come out of the ground, and it can grow into something. If you say, well, I think I'm good, not, you know, last Wednesday we talked about murder. I'm not trying to murder nobody. I'm fine, you know, we're, I'm good. But the problem is, is when you start trying to take care of something, if something is unhealthy and you just planted it, you can get it out of the ground and taken care of pretty easily in the, in the first three weeks of its life. But if you try to remove, we had to have a willow tree removed a couple years ago. My wife's still sad about it. That is a lot more difficult and expensive to cut down a full-grown tree that has been decaying and dying. So if there's something in our heart and we say, I'm going to start dealing with it when I see it, that's a little bit too late. But if we will stay proactive and daily say, God, if there, is there anything in my heart God, is there anybody that I'm avoiding? I don't want to go to a small group because I see they might go there. Lord, I want to, I, want, I, I better deal with this right now because that seed is going to grow into little shoots and that shoots it's going to grow up. And before I know it, I got a wall in front of me that says, I was trying to get to the promise. But somewhere along the line, this thing got so big and so out of control that I don't even know how I'm going to go from where I am to where God wants me to be because I literally can't tear it down myself because I can't stand that person. And for some of you, as we talked about a few weeks ago on the, the parenting and the things we were talking about Wednesday night, you have had things that people have done or have not done that they are real. They are painful. They are tragic. And in your head you say, I have every right to hate that person. I have every right. What they did to me, I have every right. 
But what you're doing is your own, it's like they say bitterness is drinking poison and expecting someone else to die. You're killing yourself. No matter what's been done, we got to do like Jacob and get into the presence of the Lord and say, God, your word says, and so I bring it to you today. And as a result of being in your presence, I'm not just going to pray that, oh, Lord, touch that person. That's what we pray and we feel good about it. I prayed for them at the altar today. No, Jacob prayed about Esau at the altar. And then he needed to go bow himself seven times to his brother. These messages are more challenging. Because when I just say, these altars are open, come and pray. We can come and pray and go, that was good. But this is a message that says, these altars are open, come and pray. And now stand up and go find your brother or your sister or the coworker or whoever it is and be willing to bow myself seven times. Hey, I know there's stuff between us. But I want you to know, I want to embrace you. I want to forgive you. I want you to forgive me. And I want to move forward past this moment because I refuse to live short of God's promise. And so today I invite you to stand to your feet. And you can justify it if you're here. It's very easy to justify that this is not for you, that I don't understand the circumstance, I don't know the full story. That's fine. Go with that narrative. But you're the one that continues to live in bondage. But if you're willing this morning, this afternoon, still used to that, if you're willing this afternoon to say, I'm going to find myself a place to pray. And maybe if you're like, well, I ain't got nothing. Well, that's fine. Then find yourself a place to pray and say, God, Help me to look at my heart right now. Is there anything that's been planted in there that is starting to take root? Is there anything in there that is starting to take root that is growing under the surface that I'm not yet aware of? Because if there is, reveal it to me right now. Because I want to dig that thing out of there and I do not want that to have root in my heart. God, I don't want any bitterness and hatred and anger. I want none of that there because, Lord, there's no one on this planet that has hurt me as much as I have hurt you, and I need your forgiveness in my life, so I've got to forgive this other person. So, God, forgive me for hanging on to this. I want to remove it, and if I need to, I'm going to go find someone and bow myself before them as many times as I need to to make sure that it's right. Jesus, as this church begins to find a place to pray right now, Oh, God, that something powerful and supernatural would take place in the hearts and the minds of not only people here, but those watching online. God, that we wouldn't just justify ourselves for trying to make excuses. Lord, there are people who have desperately, they have hurt us. They have, they have done, left so many scars. But God, I pray for that person right now. Lord, 
that we begin to, to say that person's name out loud and say, God, I release them into your hands. Lord, I'm not going to pray about what you need to do to them. I'm praying about what you can do in me. I'm not going to pray, Lord, that, oh, Lord, that you would do this for them or to them. No, no, no. God, do what you need to do inside of me, Lord. Work in me, Jesus. God, that we're going to be a church of people who refuse to lift up a hand against a brother or sister. Lord God, we refuse to be a people who swing the sword freely and cut whatever's in our way. And then you have to provide healing. No, no, God, help us. Help us, Jesus, to forgive the way you want us to forgive, to love the way you want us to love. God, to learn from people who have gone before us, who have broken down barriers with love, who have broken down barriers with humility, Jesus. Help us. the